listening to sermon audio from First Baptist Church of Van Holstein. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Well, I love to worship with you. Keegan mentioned earlier that this is a family worship Sunday for us, so you may not uh, be aware, those of you with uh, younger kids especially, that we have some activity packs over here uh, on, I guess it's the south wall right over here, and so you are welcome and will not disturb me anyway if you need to jump up and go grab one of those for your kiddos, kind of keep their hands busy just a little bit uh, during this morning's service. Um, God in His sovereignty has ordained that this be a family worship Sunday for us. Well, I know that may create a a tad of stress for some of you parents with kids. Uh, I want to simply say, and I can't obviously speak for everyone, uh, but we rejoice in that we have kids here. Amen? Uh, Yeah. And so uh, we don't want them to be viewed as some sort of a nuisance or anything like that. And so uh, don't feel bad if your kids... um, Now, if they jump up here and try to preach the sermon, that's that's maybe crossing the line. But... um, in fact, we need to have more boys come up here next time, okay? I noticed that there was a lot of girls, and I think Gavin was up here, right? Where'd he go, Gavin? Oh, okay. Oh, that's it. Yeah, okay. I wasn't sure. Who the, I, I, I could see a boy down here, but I wasn't sure. But I'm like, smart, man. He's like, hey, all the chicks are up front. I'm, I'm going. <laughs> no, and, uh, and here's the thing, too. Some of you maybe realized for the first time this morning that Baptists can clap in church. How about that? Yeah. All right. Dancing is also permitted as long as you always keep one foot on the floor. Okay. One foot always firmly planted on the floor. I get it. It's, it's a slow process for some of you. Okay. Some of you are just realizing I can sway even like in church. Okay. That's, that's stepping out of your comfort zone. I get it. Now, this should be a time of celebration for us. Amen. I mean, when you contemplate the depths of our sin, <laughs> and there's certainly a time to do that. Uh, the heaviness of it. When you think about that, it, that only helps magnify for us the grace of God and what we have in Christ Jesus. And that should cause you to erupt in celebration and praise. Well, Genesis chapter 27, if you have your Bibles this morning, let's go ahead and turn there. And this is week three in our uh, sermon series entitled Our Imperfect Family Getting Real About the Health of Your Home. And in this series, we are opening God's Word together. We are Uh, doing that to find wisdom and direction to establish and maintain spiritual health in our homes. Last week, I used the example of maintaining a car. Uh, We said that some of us are in a place where we need some preventive maintenance in our relationships, particularly our family relationships. Others of us uh, have some warning lights shining uh, in our family life, and we need to take action take action to restore health to our families. And it may require radical action, a serious repair job that may come at a high cost. Uh, It may be that you've known that in your heart of hearts for some time, and you're just not yet willing to pay that price. Well, I would encourage you to take some bold steps of faith uh, during this series of messages particularly. Uh, It may mean for you giving renewed attention Uh, to a practice or practices or a priority that has been neglected. Uh, Relationships, uh, wherever they are, whether it's in the workplace, in your neighborhood, in church life, in family life, relationships have to be maintained. Quality relationships don't happen by accident. It takes work. I I tell every couple that sits in front of me in their premarital sessions, I'm like, If you're not willing to just roll up your sleeves and do the hard work, you will not have a healthy marriage. It takes work, and that's true for all of us in all of our relationships. Now, we've already looked at the words hope and forgiveness. We looked at the word hope because that's really at the foundation of this entire thing, because fundamentally, we we dove into Scripture and discovered that the root cause of the challenges that we face in family life are related to our sinfulness. We're just sinful, broken human beings, and so we get it wrong. Some of us a lot more often than we, than we should, but we do. We just get it wrong. And so if you do not un- understand the hope that is found in Christ Jesus and in the gospel, uh, then you may feel hopeless at times. And so we need uh, that hope. And so we looked at hope. And then last week, that kind of dovetailed into forgiveness. And we used the illustration of the brick or bricks 
uh, representing the hurt that some of us have experienced in our lives, maybe going all the way back to your childhood, even uh, up until this point in your life. And so uh, I, I suspect that if I threw this at someone and it hit you, it probably wouldn't feel very good. And so it serves as a good illustration for uh, the hurt that some of us have experienced. The problem is some of us are still hanging on to it because we refuse to forgive the person who hurt us. And so I hope and pray that this past week some of you have come to a place where you are willing to at least look at the bricks in your backpack uh, and you are willing to take some steps to realize and understand the freedom that comes through forgiveness. Uh, It's not an easy thing. Uh, It's not a simple thing. It becomes very complex depending upon the level and the degree of hurt that you may have experienced. Some of you uh, have even, uh, you've, you've got scars built up over some of those wounds. And so it makes it uh, incredibly difficult. But I hope and pray uh, that you are coming to understand. And we used that brief definition last week of forgiveness. It is a decision, a choice, uh, and the required action to release a person from the obligation that resulted when they injured, offended, or hurt me. And, uh, and so this morning, we're going to look at this, the, the subject of blessing. Blessing. Blessing is a biblical word that is frequently misunderstood in our world, uh, particularly here in uh, our affluent uh, North American culture, particularly uh, because we often associate blessing with material things, with stuff. And that's why we will, you know, hey, I got the new iPhone 13 this week. Hashtag blessed blessings. And, and that's a blessing, I suppose. I, you know, I, I'm not suggesting that things can't be a blessing to us. Certainly they are. Um, but that is not generally how the word is used in Scripture. Um, deep within the heart of every person is a longing for approval. Uh, especially parental approval or blessing. Now, if we don't receive it, then we tend to search for it, and our hearts are restless until we find it. And there, there's a lot of complexity related to this. Uh, those of you who uh, God's called you to uh, foster care ministry and a lot of those things, you, you know uh, of some of the complexities related to these very things. Uh, and so we're going to talk through some of this today. When we do receive it, Uh, Our lives take on a level of fulfillment and security that can't be realized uh, in any other way. And so, you know, we often associate relational and family pain uh, with uh, sins of of commission. You know, a lot of times this stuff comes from, from harsh words that were spoken, abusive language, abusive touch. Um, different forms of different things like that. So we think of, you know, I, I said the wrong thing. I said it the wrong way and all that kind of, and certainly those things cause pain. Uh, they cause injury. Uh, but while that is true, what we need to discover this morning is that every bit as much and often more, more damage is done by what is not communicated. Over the course of my pastoral ministry, I've had the opportunity to, uh, to provide pastoral counseling to a lot of people. And this is a common thread. With those who struggle in relationships and those sorts of things, uh, they suffer every bit as much. They've had as much damage uh, through things that were not said. I talked to one guy, I'll never forget what he said to me. And I, I was asking him some questions related to his uh, family of origin and, and his upbringing and all those things. And he said, this is pretty much what I got from my dad. Hey, boy. That was it. There's nothing wrong with with giving your son a thumbs up, okay? Um, But if that's the extent of the blessing that you've passed on to your son or your child, um, that's pretty limited. That's pretty limited. And I know some of you are already maybe identifying with that just a little bit. Now, understand this. The concept of blessing is not some new psychological construct, That's not what this is. It's been around for a very long time. In fact, it shows up here in the very first book of the Bible. You're probably familiar with a guy named Abraham, right? After Adam's descendants chose sin over fellowship with God and submission to his ways for a lot of years, uh, God decided to focus on one nation of people. Abraham was the man that God chose to be the father of this new nation. 
And so before we look at Genesis chapter 27 here, I want us to stop and just consider for just a moment the blessing of birthright. Okay, whenever you think of biblical blessing, maybe you think of this idea of the birthright. And if you are familiar with scripture much at all, uh, you may not know the chapter and exactly where it's found, but you maybe are thinking of Isaac and Jacob and Esau, right? Okay, well, Abraham had a son named Isaac. Give you a little bit of the background. Later, Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau was born first, and according to the customs of the day, uh, the substantive portion of the family wealth, inheritance is kind of how we think of it, belonged to him. Uh, this was called the birthright. Now, birthright and blessing are not one and the same. Okay, we're not talking about the same thing. They are closely connected, certainly, but they are not the same thing. So uh, Isaac's wife, Rebecca, had a different plan in mind. You might remember this, uh, this account. She favored the younger son, Jacob. So she and Jacob hatched this plan to trick Isaac into giving his blessing not to, to the firstborn Esau, but to Jacob instead. And so that kind of brings us up to speed. We're not going to go back through all of that in the text, but that, that brings us to where we find ourselves here in Genesis chapter 27, picking it up in verse number 30. And so remember, Isaac has just been fooled. It says this, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, Jacob was not the one out. Remember, Esau did sell his birthright to, to Jacob, okay, but Jacob is the supplanter. He's the deceiver, all right, verse number 30, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. This is a crazy scene. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat, eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father, Isaac, said to him, who are you? What a strange question, right? Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac, notice this, notice this response, this reaction from Isaac. Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceeding great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. Again, that may seem like a strange question for a dad to ask of his son. Who are you? It wasn't because he was senile at this point. What we do know is that earlier in chapter 27 here, we're told that Isaac was, was very old. He was up in years, and his eyesight was failing by all, for, for all intents and purposes. He was, we would maybe say, legally blind. Uh, he was very limited in what he could see. And so Esau answered there in verses 32 through 35. And then you can hear the heartbreak in Esau's cry. Bless me also, O oh my father. Bless me. And later Esau cried out again, Do you have uh, only one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O oh my father. So Esau lifted his voice and wept. What anguish. It's just another example of what we said in the first message in this series. There is no pain like family pain. I mean, you see some strong reactions here, not only on the part of Isaac at the deception, but on the part of Esau. And, and I mean, it's just very complex. A lot of family baggage, we would say. Now, bear in mind that Esau was not a, an especially fragile guy, okay? He would probably be found on the cover of Outdoorsman magazine. Uh, he was known as a hunter. Uh, he, the Bible even tells us that he was an especially hairy man. Uh, today, we would say he was a manly man, okay? That's how we would describe him. And yet, as a grown man, perhaps uh, somewhere around the age of 40 at this particular point, we find that he's really, he's weeping like a baby because his father did not give the blessing to him. Now, we do learn later, and we're not going to get into all the details of this, that he was given a secondary blessing and so forth. Uh, obviously, there are a lot of complexities to this story, with, with, which it may be difficult for us to identify. Okay, we don't have anything quite like this culturally, uh, and I'm going to speak to that in just a moment. Uh, 
Not the least of which, in this particular case, in, in terms of the complexity of this, is the deception of Jacob. Again, deceiver, supplanter, and that of Rebecca. And so in that, you, you would just imagine they're feeling this sense of betrayal. There would be a lot of hurt associated with it. And so that, that causes us to pause for a moment and ask the question, and hopefully answer the question, what is the blessing? What is the blessing? What exactly are we talking about? And in what form does it come? Now, there's not an explicit definition in Scripture for us. And so I, I want to offer this hopefully practical definition for what we're talking about this morning. The blessing is intentionally communicating. I chose those words carefully. Okay, I spent most of my time preparing for this morning's message in a hospital room this past week, and I, I had the opportunity to sit there and reflect upon which words I wanted to use here. And I went through a couple of renditions of this, but I think it's very important that we note these words. The blessing is intentionally communicating through both words and actions fondness for, confidence in, and recognition of a specific person. I don't want you to hear that and think, well, this, so this is to the exclusion of biblical truth and all of that. No, we're, you've got the Shema of Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we've talked about that some in the context of family messages and the importance of, of owning gospel truth in your own heart and living that out, and then also passing that on to future generations. That is, that is certainly very much still in place. Really, this relates almost as much to how you do that as it does to, 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 to the, the act itself here. Okay, So in Old Testament times, the blessing was a bestowal of favor and acceptance. It was like a, a transaction that gave material and spiritual benefit to the recipient. It was rooted not merely in a child's, get this, in a child's appearance. It was not rooted in a child's accomplishments, but in the child's very personhood. Their very personhood. It's very important that you understand that. In one sense, the blessing was given uh, informally to the child as he or she grew up. There was a point in time, however, in every Jewish family for a formal blessing ceremony. While the emphasis was placed on the firstborn, as we see here in, in Genesis 27, every child received it. Not just, the, not just the boys, but the girls as well. The Hebrew father would call together some of his friends. His friends, okay? So don't think putting together a kid's birthday party, inviting their friends. No, he would invite his friends, and they would gather around the son or daughter being blessed. And again, we see both males and females getting the blessing, though there seems to be within men, and I've, I've certainly found this to be true in my time, uh, there seems to be something within men, an even greater need for this. That's not to suggest that it's not important to you girls, to you ladies, but it seems to be especially important, something about the way God wired us, that uh, there's this uh, particular need for this. Now, normally the ceremony would take place between the ages of 14 and 16. And what would happen is each adult who was invited to this blessing ceremony um, would bring a message of insight and practical wisdom filled with faith and conviction to share with the one being blessed. And so these would not just be random people. Okay, this would not just be people from down at the office that don't know your kid. Okay, what we're really seeing here is these would be the people that are in your community. Okay, that's why we stress community here at FBCVA so much because we need to, God intends for us to do the Christian life in community. So these are the people with whom you are doing life. And in some cases, they were there when this kid was born. They've seen them from the time that they were, as we say, knee-high to a grasshopper, and they've kind of watched them grow up and everything. Now, some of the friendships may not be quite that deep, but we're talking about bringing people in who, who know this child, okay, who know the son or daughter, and, and, and maybe even invested in them along uh, with your family. And so when the process was complete, the father would lift his teenage child, however awkwardly that may have been, onto his shoulders uh, and would dance around the room in celebration. Okay, if you don't know much about Jewish culture, it's probably something like this that kind of comes to mind. They seem to be a very, very 
uh, celebratory group. You know, they, they, they love celebration and all those things. And we got to go to Israel several years ago and we saw, you know, here comes a group up for a bar mitzvah, for example. And there's, I mean, it's with great celebration and fanfare. And it's just, it's really very, it's fun. Uh, and so now understand this, the, the, um, Basically, what they would do in this, in this celebration then is, in effect, they were saying in front of their peers, in front of their community, this is my beloved son or daughter in whom I am well pleased. Now, does that language sound familiar to you? That's the language that we find at the baptism of the Lord Jesus. So very, very important. Now, the blessing was the high water mark, this ceremony, we would call it. But equally important were the countless blessings that were given day to day. And the blessing didn't originate with Isaac. Okay, Scripture records that God blessed Abraham. Abraham blessed Isaac. Isaac blessed Jacob. Jacob blessed his 12 sons and two of his grandsons. And we even see some, some further complexity and issues within family later on. Uh, because one of his sons was Joseph. Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Remember, Grandpa was going to bless him, and he crossed their hands. And uh, so you've you got a lot of stuff going on here. Today, I want us to think of blessing as less of an event or ceremony and more about the day-to-day -day value and importance of communicating biblical affirmation, biblical confidence, and truth to our family members, and especially to our kids and to our grandkids. Now, these principles apply to everyone. I mean, if, if, you're not, <laughs> if you're not affirming and you're not communicating these things to your spouse, for example, then, then you're probably doing it wrong. Okay, and so this really applies to everyone, but we think of it especially uh, in relation to our children and training them up. Now, having said that, I am not suggesting that it is a bad idea to do some sort of a ceremony. I'm not suggesting that it's a bad idea to do some sort of a rite of passage. Uh, if you study uh, human civilization, you will find that in various cultures and at various times, there are different ways of doing this. And maybe you've read stories of how this is done in certain African cultures, for example, and different things. In fact, this rite of passage. And there are some uh, biblically faithful people who have put some resources out there. Uh, and I know there are a lot of different things involved. Maybe it's a uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, giving a sword, for example, having a sword, per, you know, purchasing a sword or having one made and, and giving that to your son at this particular ceremony. I've seen uh, with girls, it's, you know, a particular piece of family jewelry or something like that, maybe an heirloom that is passed on to the, the one being blessed. And so there are a lot of different ways to do that. In fact, in the second episode of the Family Discipleship Podcast that I mentioned in this service last week, FDP, um, Matt Chandler explains uh, the, the concept of a blessing ceremony or kind of a rite of passage that he and his wife Lauren have instituted in their family. And it is incredibly practical and incredibly helpful. I would really encourage that you listen to that second episode. And he talks about that at about the midway point in uh, that podcast. And so it's something that uh, I would recommend you consider doing. Uh, I'm not suggesting it in a legalistic sort of way. Uh, if Christy and I could rewind with our three grown kids now, we would probably do something maybe a little more intentional uh, in this regard. Uh, we get a chance to maybe do it over again with our 11-year-old, and so who knows. But um, I would highly recommend that you consider that, that you prayerfully consider it, that you look at some resources that may be available. And, and that may look different for every family. Okay, there's not some certain age or whatever. I think Matt Chandler talks about it when his kids turn 13, uh, it's kind of like saying to them, you are no longer a child, okay? And so it goes along with that. But essentially, they do what we're talking about here. They bring in people who have been in community with them, uh, in many cases, over the life of the child being blessed, and they speak into that child, okay? And they offer uh, and even have these things written out and, and so forth. So great, great thing. I would really highly recommend that you subscribe to that podcast and listen to uh, listen to it regularly, um, that you especially listen to those first three episodes. The third one that they dropped is on who influences our kids. I'll listen to it on a walk Saturday morning, and it's, it's really helpful. Um, there, there's just a lot of stuff coming at our kids these days, and we need to give far more attention to that uh, than most of us do. So I hope that you'll consider giving that a listen. It'll be helpful to you, I believe. So let's talk very practically then for these next few moments about communicating 
the blessing. Um, My background, my undergrad degree is in Bible and communications. And one of the first things that we were taught in Communications 101 is there are a lot of ways to communicate and not all of them involve opening your mouth. So one of the exercises that we would do in one of those, you know, freshman classes was the professor would have us start quoting the nursery rhyme, Mary had a little lamb whose fleece was white as snow. Okay, I guess because everybody would know it from memory, or at least should. And so we would start quoting it, and in the middle of quoting that, the professor would maybe uh, yell out for us a particular emotion. And so he would say, I want you to start and be kind. And so you would start, Mary had a little lamb whose fleece was white as snow. And about the time you get to that word snow, he would say, angry. And she'd go, and everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. Now, you you would say the same words, but you're saying them in a completely different way. Okay, now some of you, maybe you're thinking back to your upbringing, your childhood. Okay? And, And maybe the way things were communicated to you looked somewhat like that. Okay? Maybe saying truth, truthful things, but it was the way in which it was said. It's, it's amazing how many times I've talked to men especially, and uh, we start talking about some issues they're having in their marriage and their family and their relationship, and we start talking about the issue of abuse, and they will say something like, I've never laid a hand on my wife. That's great, bud. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you haven't been abusive. Because you can be abusive with your words. You can even be abusive with your demeanor. And so I would give examples. Like if you stand up over your spouse and you, you know, impose your, just even your presence over them, that is a form of abuse. And that is a form of communication. And so the concept here of communicating these things is critically important. A lot of different ways to do it and a lot of elements in this idea of communicating the blessing. So the concept of blessing in our families is so much more than material possessions. So much more. Uh, in fact, it, it really doesn't center on that. And I know when you look at birthright and all those things, you think inheritance, you think uh, material possessions and resources and all that kind of stuff. That, that's not so much what this is about. It is much more than just hoping for a bright future or having dreams and aspirations for our kids. And it's not wrong to do that. But blessing is something to be communicated to our families regularly. So what does that look like? How can you do this? Well, let's first consider meaningful touch. Meaningful touch. Back to Genesis chapter 27 here. I want you to see something in verses 26 and 27. Notice it says, Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. Now, this is obviously when he was being uh, deceived and and, and all of that complexity there. But I want you to understand something here. Much has been written about the healing, nurturing, affirming power of meaningful touch. And the negative impact when this is neglected in the home. Uh, Why do you suppose when there is a newborn, they talk about this connecting touch? Okay, very, very important. Uh, And you may know of someone who did not experience that, did not have that in their earliest days and in their younger years and things. And so they would they would tell you that there's they are struggling with some issues perhaps related to that. And especially in a day where inappropriate touch or even abusive touch is far too common, it is especially important that we communicate blessing to our families through meaningful touch. Now, I realize some of you right now are sitting there going, tap the brakes, Pastor, because this is not my love language. (laughs) Okay, I get that. If you've never studied the the love languages, it's, it's it's a... it's a study that's worth your time. Uh, I know some of you, uh, maybe you're a little more prickly, okay? We'll just say that. Uh, you're not a snuggle bug, okay? Um, that's not really all that we're talking about here. And I realize that this can be a challenge for some of us. And while it is one of my primary love languages, 
It is not necessarily the primary love language of everyone in my family. Okay, I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, but there are ways that we can communicate blessing even uh, with those, in those situations through meaningful touch. It may be a high five. It, it may be a pat on the head or on the shoulder. For me, quite often, it's a, just a simple kiss on the forehead. Okay, it, it can be a challenge. I read about a study done several years ago. This uh, group of doctors got together and they had two different groups of patients in a hospital setting. And they decided to treat these two different groups of patients in uniquely different ways. The one group pretty much just got business only. Let's come in, let's talk about the symptoms you're experiencing, let's talk about the diagnosis, let's talk about how we're going to treat that. And it was just pretty much business and that's it. Get out of the room as quick as you can. With the other group of patients, there was intentional care given. And a lot of times they would even sit on the edge of the bed and, and put a, a caring hand on the shoulder or something of that nature. And the outcome for those two groups and what they experienced and what they reported was completely different. Just amazing. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you have a doctor and you would say, man, a good doctor, but bedside manner, mm. you know what I'm saying? And so this is critically important. And, and it's at this point that a lot of us want to start making excuses. And you will find yourself saying stuff like, well, I show my love by my actions. Or I, it makes me feel uncomfortable. Well, that's the thing about this. It's not all about you or me. Okay, I can make up for it in other ways. What many of those excuses lead to is you trying to buy your kids affection by giving them stuff or other things. That, that can be meaningful, but it's not the same thing. Meaningful touch is critically important. We see the power of physical touch in the story of John Henry Ramirez. You may have heard of the story. It was recently in the news. A Texas inmate scheduled for execution by lethal injection. There's a pastor by the name of Dana Moore, who uh, pastors at Second Baptist in Corpus Christi, had been visiting Ramirez for more than four years, driving more than 300 miles to the unit where Ramirez was held on death row in Livingston. Mr. Ramirez requested that the pastor not only be present to witness the execution, but have the opportunity to physically lay hands on him. As I read that story, I got to thinking, how would I feel if, as a pastor, I were asked to do that? But what that speaks to is the power of physical touch because Ramirez talked about the, the importance of physical touch and he felt that it would be comforting to him and talked about the incredible lack of physical touch that is afforded to those who are in prison. And he even filed a lawsuit to that effect. Now, I haven't gone and looked to see where that has ended up or where things are right now, but I mean, you stop and think about that. The power of physical touch. Now, up until the point that he filed that lawsuit, he and this pastor had never physically touched one another. It was always with, uh, you know, a barrier glass between them or whatever. And they would maybe, you know, they, they'd never. And he longed for that. That was something that he wanted. He fully acknowledged his crime. He knew that there was a price to be paid for it. He wasn't trying to get out of that or anything. He just knew of the importance of that physical touch. Meaningful touch is an important part of communicating the blessing. And then spoken words. Spoken words. Think about it this way. A blessing isn't really a blessing until it's spoken. I've conducted a lot of funerals and I've talked to a lot of families and I don't know that I can remember anybody who got up at a funeral and said, I'm just so glad that my dad thought good thoughts about me. People don't say that. I mean, I hope you do, and that's good. But if you don't ever articulate those things, then it has minimal impact. And so the most powerful way to build upon the foundation of meaningful touch is through the words that you say. Now, Scripture makes it crystal clear that the tongue is very powerful. It has the power to destroy, to do great damage, and it has the power to enrich and edify. So many adults are struggling today because they got a steady dose of destructive words when they were growing up. Never forget, I was uh, coaching uh, in a baseball tournament up in Texarkana one time. And on the field behind us, another guy was coaching, apparently his son. Uh, I later found out that was true. And here's what I heard him say from the next field over. 
His son was wearing the number six. He said, six, you idiot. I just thought, wow. Like, that would be destructive if it was spoken privately. But especially destructive when spoken publicly. I saw another guy in a similar setting. His son stole third base or attempted to. He was thrown out at third. The dad was coaching third. The dad reached down, literally jerked his son up off the ground, literally went over and shoved him into the dugout. How destructive is that? And we'll talk a little bit more about what that communicates. And I realize right now, it may be a bit painful for some of you this morning because you've experienced something similar. You've experienced those things. So I want to be clear here when I'm talking about spoken words. We're not talking about name it, claim it. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about speaking things into existence for our kids. Only God has the ability to do that. So what are we talking about? We're talking about words of affection. Words of affection. I realize, again, this may be a little more difficult for some of us than others. I love you should be heard regularly in our homes. It should be a common refrain in the beautiful music that our families make together. And again, I, I found it amazing at the number of people that I've talked to who said, in my growing up years, I hardly ever heard those words in my home. Hardly ever. And there's this long-standing joke out there about the guy who, who told his wife after they'd been married for a number of years, I told you the day we got married I loved you, and if anything changes, I'll let you know. Woo. Doesn't that just give you a warm, fuzzy feeling all over, huh? That, that, that's kind of what some people get. should be regular. Words of affection. How about words of reconciliation? Words of reconciliation. It goes along with this. Okay, the reason, again, that this series is called Our Imperfect Family is because we are all imperfect people. And we often get it wrong. And because we are flawed people, and our families know our flaws better than anybody else, words like, I'm sorry, I was wrong, would you forgive me, are incredibly important words in family life. And if you dig in your heels and you refuse to admit that you are ever wrong, that's a pride issue. That's a pride issue. Those can be some powerful words to our kids especially. Words of reconciliation. How about words of vision? Words of vision. I'm not talking about some strange, weird thing here, but I'm talking about saying things like, I really believe you're going to make an incredible difference in this world. Make sure these things are truthful. Okay, I've always wondered about the truthfulness behind saying to our kids, you can be anything you want to be. I, I understand the sentiment behind that. <laughs> But that's not entirely true. And so I'm talking about saying truthful things. I believe God is going to use your life in amazing ways. I love the way God has created you so unique and, and just so special. Words of vision, they build hope and confidence. How about words of security? Words of security. How about saying things like, nothing that you could ever do will make me stop loving you. Those are words of security. And if as a couple in, in, the married, in married life, if you are, are constantly throwing around threatening words that would lead your kids to think that at any moment, at any given point in time, you're going to divorce one another and dad's going to leave and mom's going to out and all those kinds of things, that does not create security in your home. So while those difficult conversations will be had, that needs to happen behind closed doors. And one of the most secure things that you can do to communicate to your kids in, in, in family life is for them to be certain that you love your spouse. You love your spouse. Those are words of security. Now, if you spend the majority of your words correcting and comparing and manipulating, you're missing the mark. Your words can be very destructive. Often think of this example because it broke my heart. I was talking to a guy named Alex, a friend of mine. I'd been attending our church for some time, and 
Alex had, had just had a lot of issues. And uh, we were talking about his family of origin one day in a counseling situation and just talking through some things that he had, uh, had dealt with growing up. And he uh, relayed to me this story. He, he said, I, I've only got one brother, uh, JP. JP is very successful, uh, always had it together. Um, but that wasn't, that, that wasn't Alex. Um, Alex had his share of struggles. Well, one day in high school, Alex hit a home run in a high school baseball game, hit the ball over the fence. And uh, he talked about how after the game, he was just longing to be affirmed, particularly by his dad. Wanted to hear him say something like, man, dude, that was awesome. What a bomb. You know, just something. You know what his dad said to him? JP hit it further. I was stunned when I heard him say those words. I was like, how cruel is that? When you're longing for and looking for just a glimmer of affirmation and what you get are destructive words of comparison, that's, it's mind-boggling, and I hope it is for you too. But that just demonstrates the power of spoken words. Spoken words that can tear down and destroy and defeat or words that build up. And again, I'm not talking about blindly overlooking your kids' <laughs> failures and all those things and just constantly doting on them because the other extreme is that you can make idols out of your kids to the point that you can't admit that they're ever wrong. So there's a balance here. Meaningful touch, spoken words. Number three, affirming value. Affirming value. At the heart of the blessing is this word picture that communicates you matter to us. We care about you. You are special and unique. Affirming value is especially important in developing a child's identity. Critically important. Now, it may seem a bit odd to us that Isaac wanted to smell his son here. It's a picture. It's as if Isaac is saying, do you know what I think of, son, when I think of you? I see this field of, of, of grain growing. I hear the birds singing, and I see the sun shining, and you're in the middle of the field, tall and strong. He's communicating a powerful message to his son. And this is where we have to use a great deal of caution, because you can easily convey the idea that our kids' value comes through appearance and their abilities. Let's just be honest, guys, for just a moment. We men especially struggle with this, and especially in the area of sports. Okay, where are my sports people this morning? Come on, get your hands up. Right, a whole lot more of y'all got your kids in sports right now. Don't, don't sit there with your hands down like this don't apply to you. Okay, I love sports. It's been a huge part of my life, okay? But we got to be very careful in this area because it's especially tempting their value is not found on the stat sheet. Their value is not found on the stat sheet or in their ability to hit a curveball or throw a fastball 98 miles an hour or how many trophies they've accumulated. We got to be very careful here because we can real quickly send the wrong messages. Like, I really think you're amazing when you're performing well. And so something that struck me not long ago is, is, is this phrase right here. Okay, and we all understand disappointment and we want our kids to succeed and we want them to hit the ball every time they step up to the plate and we want them to, you know, all of that. I understand that. We want them to do well, want them to do their best. But really what we need to be focusing on is much more than their, their abilities and their performance is their effort. How much effort are they putting in? Because that's a character issue, Right? But how about saying something like this after a game? I just love watching you play. I just love watching you play. Now, what we men tend to do many times is, you know what? If you'd have just stayed back on that ball, you wouldn't have popped up to the pitcher. Or if you wouldn't have got out on your front foot and everything else, you wouldn't. Let's just get real for a moment. Because we all like to think we're, we're, we're the best coach on the planet, and, and we, if they would just listen to us. 
This is an area that hits me between the eyes, okay? I'm just telling you. I'm passionate. I'm intense in some of these areas as much as anybody else. Maybe too much at times. And I've got to be painfully honest that there are times in this area where I've crossed the line. I'm not proud of that. How are you communicating the blessing? How are you communicating the blessing? And then finally, biblical gospel vision. Now, as you look at verses 28 and 29... This wasn't a prayer for actual dew from heaven. I don't believe this was also a prayer for actual grain, per se. This was a prayer for his son to connect the blessings of life with God. May God give you these things. What Isaac was doing was teaching his son to recognize that every good and perfect gift is from where? From above. From above. And in every recorded blessing in the Old Testament particularly, the child's relationship with God is prominent. A biblical blessing must include a spiritual gospel vision. Tell your kids that you are praying for them. Pray with them. Pray for them. That they will love the Lord supremely and value His Word and demonstrate that same vision in your own life. I look at our culture today and I think, man, if some of us were just half as passionate for the gospel and church and all of those things as we are for sports and all the other myriad of things that our kids can be involved in, man, we would be doing so much better in the advancement of the gospel. Some of us really need to stop and and take stock right here. I mean, if you're passionate about getting your kids up early in the morning to go to that workout or to be at that practice and you can't be late, you can't be late for practice, you gotta be, but you, but that you, you don't share even a tiny bit of that same passion for being at, at worship. Hey, what does that say about your priorities? What are you communicating to them? Are you really communicating to them a gospel biblical vision? Now understand something here. It is not biblical to pray for our kids to be wealthy. Understand what I'm saying here. We need to pray that our kids will be prosperous in this world, that they will be successful, but by kingdom standards and be stewards of what they have for Christ and for the spread of the gospel. Now, that may mean that they're banking someday, okay? If that's the case, great. <laughs> but, but to be focused just on that, on material wealth, material possessions, and, and those sorts of things... Pray that your kids will master spiritual opposition and temptation. Pray that they will master their roles in life as they mature. Pray that they will master their resources for the glory of God. That's biblical gospel vision. Now, let's, let's, let's close by quickly asking ourselves a couple of questions here. What happens when the blessing is withheld? What happens? Maybe you're thinking, I didn't get this when I was growing up. And maybe you're even sitting here this morning sensing some resentment. Maybe you know that you carry some baggage related to this very thing. Maybe you're the one who grew up feeling like you were never good enough. Maybe you're the one who felt the crushing pressure to perform in order to feel valued. I pray. I pray that you can find healing from that. I pray that you can, you can practice the forgiveness necessary to move past that in your life. And it may be that some of you need to be cycle breakers. You need to say, it's not going to be that way in my home and my family. But here are some things that happen when the blessing is withheld. Some people try to earn the blessing. It manifests itself in a lot of different ways. Workaholics. Not always, but many times they will, they, they will turn to that kind of thing. Destructive pursuits of approval. A lot of workaholics never experienced the blessing, really. Never were communicated the blessing in their home. They feel like they've got to earn it. Some people search for the blessing elsewhere. Studies indicate that the number one candidate for gangs and for radical cults are those who did not receive the blessing growing up. Sad but true. Many people involved in the sex trade, those industries, those, if you want to call it that, that darkness are people who never received the blessing in their growing up years, especially. Some people withdraw into isolation and loneliness. 
They pull back. They shut down. They feel like being alone is better than making themselves vulnerable. Some people strike out in anger. So I wonder this morning, do you need to be a cycle breaker? And I believe that by the grace of God, you can be. So what about when the blessing is communicated? We're going to close with this. When the blessing is communicated, I believe our children will emerge into adulthood being able to answer three of the most important questions in this life. Number one, who am I? It's an identity issue. That's why this whole concept of helping them understand their identity and their value in Jesus Christ and in, in who God created them to be. It's not associated with their appearance. It's not associated with their performance. It's associated with, with who they are in Christ. Who am I? Number two, why am I here? What is my purpose? Number three, where am I going? Uh, I can't stress enough the importance of this principle in family life. And I know we all have days and moments, certainly of frustration, and we all struggle, some of us more than others, with anger and responding. We many times react when we should be responding. So we all need some grace in this area. Uh, we all need God's help as we can reach our wit's end. And the next thing you know, we're saying very destructive words, communicating very destructive behaviors. So by the grace of God, may we pass on the blessing and communicate it well to our families. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your word and the principles and the precepts, the truths that we find there. Lord, I thank you for the relationships that you entrust to us, whether that be in the context of family or just community, church family. Lord, I pray that you would help us to appropriately, in a meaningful way, communicate through meaningful touch and spoken words and affirming value security, all those things so that you might be honored and glorified in our family life, in our relationships. Help us sort of be people who build up, who edify. And when people see us coming, they, they're glad for that opportunity to share a conversation, to enjoy a cup of coffee together. Lord, help us to weigh our words before they're spoken. And in all this, Lord, help us to understand how damaging harsh words can be, abusive language, all of those things, but also to understand the significance of withholding the blessing. Lord, we thank you and we praise you and we need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.